Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and folks, we are so lucky to get Drew at all this evening. I mean, your schedule lately has been crazy, junket after junket. In fact, just last night, though, in between junkets, you snuck in serving as the MC at the Gallery Nucleus DuckTales panel, right? Yeah, it was a really great event. So if anybody that was listening was there, I hope you had fun. Uh, It was an amazing panel. We had uh, Matthew Youngberg, who created the show, uh, Frank Angones, uh, who is another creator and a story editor, uh, Sean Jimenez, the art director, Valerie Schwartz, the assistant art director. We had uh, Tanner Johnson, who's a storyboard artist and a director, Uh, Jason Zurich, who is a storyboard artist and director, and Susanna Olson. Laura could not make it because her flight was delayed, but uh, everybody else was there, and we had a great time, and I also have in my possession four days early The Art of DuckTales by our friend of the show, Ken Plume. Yeah. Um, And I have the deluxe version, and it's just absolutely gorgeous and so much great information in there. Um, So, yeah, really, really cool stuff, and and, uh, I'm glad I got to do that. You know, Jim, it's a little, as you know from being on a cruise ship locked on, uh, you know, on board with a bunch of people that you have to try to entertain, it it can get exhausting, but I think I pulled it off. I was already two junkets deep on Saturday when I did that, but I think I... uh, You poor I think I managed okay, so well, yeah. Well, yeah. and again, just, just to be sure here, people understand what a find this book is. It's First of all, it's from Dark Horse. Uh, and second of all, anybody who's seen Ken's previous making a book, Go Team Venture, the art and making of the Venture Brothers, that book was crazy detailed and wonderful stories. And this DuckTales book is is that only more so, but... 200 pages, six pounds. I mean, it's a behemoth, right? Yeah, it's really it's really heavy. And it, and it was actually born out of the Venture Brothers book, along with uh, Frank uh, going nuts during the pandemic and mm-hmm. tweeting out things about every single episode of the show, which is what kind of spurred the creation of the book on. And apparently... Ken did something like 300 hours of interviews uh, with people. Yeah, that, so That sounds a lot like Mr. Plume. But tell about the, the really cool part about the deluxe edition of this book. Talk about the number one dime. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I can find it. It's sort of embedded. What happened was that the book was supposed to be longer, and mm. it had pages cut from it because of the paper shortage of 2021. So they had to come out with this supplemental book. Mm -hmm. And if you'll see, Mm -hmm. Jim, do you see the penny right there? Yeah. Embedded in the pages. So, yeah, you can can fish that out. Oh, man. And it's really cool. There's just so much stuff in here, Jim. Here's the penny. I'll take it out for you. Oh. So here it is, 10 cents. Okay, the number one dime. Okay. Number one dime. Oh, that's killer. Pretty cool. I've been tracking this one, but it's here. It it comes out on the 8th, folks. So the day the show goes live. So as you're listening, cop on Amazon. Go grab a copy. There aren't that many, so grab grab them as quick as you can as well. I was told there are not that many... There were not that many printed, so do it. Do it fast. Okay, okay, we'll do, we'll do. Well, as we we just mentioned, this show comes out on eighth, but we're recording on the the night of Sunday, November sixth, and that's two weeks and change out for when Thanksgiving will be held here in the states on 
on Thursday, November 24th. And Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is, of course, a tradition. And every year, uh, new character-based balloons debut in the parade. Well, just yesterday, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, in the parking lot of MetLife Stadium, the Macy's Parade Studio held what... They call Balloon Fest, and it's when they, they walk out the brand new balloons that have been created. And typically, again, they're, they're based on cartoon characters. So we have Bluey, the title character from the Disney Junior show. Only this Bluey is 52 feet tall, 51 feet long, and 35, uh, excuse me, 34 feet wide. We have a brand new Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and it, this one's being done out ahead of the second CG film coming on Disney+. Plus. But this is actually the third version of a Diary of a Wimpy Kid balloon that's been in the Macy's Parade. And then they have Stuart the Minion from Despicable Me. And evidently the, the handlers of the balloon below are all going to be dressed up in banana suits. And it would appear that Stuart has grabbed one of the balloon handlers and holding a full-size man dresses a banana in his hand and seems ready to eat him. So uh, we're also, Drew, by the way, going to get, they have a Funko Pop version of Grogu. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Debuted last year. Now, were you at the D23 Expo? This would have been 2015 when they had the Buzz Lightyear figure from Macy's The Balloon. They had it out in front of the Anaheim Convention Center. In fact, they set it up between the two hotels that are in the forecourt just below the Anaheim Convention Center? Oh, Jim, not only was I there, I mm -hmm. had to cover that balloon because I was working for Disney.com at the time. So, yes, I remember it well. It was quite a display of that. I didn't see you that night. I was. Oh, yes. I, I, did you sit there that night and, and watch them inflate it? No, I was there. It must have been. I was there Thursday night, I think was the first night. So you you saw them blow it up. Oh, yeah. 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 I was out there with the crew. Uh, as, and it was interesting. There were like 34 different little balloons within the giant balloon that they, they inflate. And the entire time the team that had come out from Manhattan, they had driven the balloon across country. And they're inflating it there and they're explaining to me that they're really worried because the next day it was supposed to get up into the high 90s. And they were like, we have to inflate the balloon enough so it looks good. But they were worried that as the heat of the day, you know, as it got hotter and hotter, the uh, helium would expand. And they're actually terrified of the balloon sort of ripping its seams and that's what everybody wants. Walking out of D23 and there's a mortally wounded Buzz Lightyear on the ground. But it all worked out, and they were nice enough. They said, well, do you want to see the parade? And I had seen the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade previously. In fact, it was kind of interesting. They pinned them down with giant cargo nets there, and only just before the parade begins, walked them out to the route. When we were watching it from the reviewing stands in front of the, the flagship store, we were just up the block from where they broadcast on television, so, you know, it was everybody running at warp speed by us. And as the parade broke up, every street around Macy's is either full of deflating balloons or parade floats that are being folded back up because they have to now return through the Lincoln Tunnel uh, to go back. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was it was kind of fascinating to watch the whole process. Do they still do the... the uh the Macy's Parade at Universal Orlando? Now it's Universal's Holiday Parade presented 
by Macy's and they have a couple of the smaller balloons. But it just seems as each year goes by, Macy's relationship with Universal gets more tangential. Right. So, well, in fact, when I was down there in early October, the streets are filled with Halloween Horror Night stuff, but they were teaching the parade float drivers, you know, how to move their, their parade floats through the street. So it was this bizarre thing of you came out and it's like, here are streets set up with fake graveyards and pumpkins. And, but here are also these giant parade floats that are driving down the street and they're explaining to them, keep them 50 feet apart. That's interesting. Well, before we move on, Jim, I have to tell you one thing about Buzz Lightyear. Okay. Is that there will we we love old Buzz mm-hmm. from Buzz Lightyear and and the Terminator version of Socks and there will be action figures of both of those characters in I think January, so we have to keep an eye out at Target for those those action figures because they are coming, Jim. We are really? getting old Buzz and we are getting the Terminator version of Socks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another thing to put on the list along with my Ducktales book. All right, anyway, folks, lots more animation news to come. But first, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Mill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Last Friday, uh, October 28th, was World Animation Day, which is why it's kind of appropriate this past weekend, Black Adam was number one at the box office for its third week in a row, took in $18 million. But right behind it was One Piece film Red that came in at $9.47 million at the box office. And that film was based on the One Piece animated series, which debuted on Fuji Television back in 99, which was then based on a manga series. And there have been over a thousand episodes of that TV series in various forms produced to date, and, and to put that in perspective, The Simpsons, which debuted a decade earlier in 1989, only 734 episodes of that TV series have been produced today, with the most recent one being The Treehouse of Horror 34. Did you get to see that? That Treehouse of Horror 33, Jim, it started a year after the show premiered. So Treehouse of Horror 33, yeah. Okay, that's interesting because... Yes. Okay, all right, I stand corrected. Treehouse 33. I thought that was great. Did you watch it? Well, I love the Death Note parody. I also enjoyed, you know, the, the Simpsons finally escaping sort of the Springfield biosphere and then driving for hours and stopping at Bob's Burgers to have a burger. And, and that pullout shot alone at the end of the show where it's like you, you saw the biosphere for South Park and Rick and Morty and, and Futurama and Big Mouth, you know, just on the horizon. I thought it was very cool and, you know, kind of... Do you of, think that uh, them parodying Westworld actually led to the cancellation this weekend? Uh, Is that they just got it in in the nick of time. They had their parody yeah. and now the show is gone. Yeah. Uh, though, did you see the, the, the news in the trades that even though they pulled the plug after four seasons, they still have to pay the cast for the fifth season or, or principal? Yeah, I would cast? love to make $2 million to do nothing, Jim. I mean, that would be great. That, that's what I've been going for my whole life. And I, I haven't I haven't made it there yet. Oh, you know? uh, well, uh, let me know. Let me know. <laughs> Speaking of, of things that got canceled, we just learned about Tuca and Birdie and... That adult animated series created by uh, Lisa Hannawalt began streaming on Netflix 
in May of uh, 2019 and then got canceled just a few months later. But then in May of 2020, Adult Swim picked up the show and it, it premiered on as part of Cartoon Network's uh, adult programming block in June of 2001. Just a few months later, got renewed for a third season, which debuted in July of this year. And can you share w- what Lisa posted on Twitter? Uh, just it was on week? Twitter, yeah. She said... To all our fans, we love you and can't thank you enough for your support over the years. Please never stop making weird fan art and dressing up as the characters for Halloween. It brings me endless joy. Working with Adult Swim was creatively fulfilling. Our Our execs were all smart and thoughtful, and I'm grateful that we got the space to make all these wild and heartfelt episodes about things that matter to me very much. She goes on to talk about how great it was working with the Animation Guild and the Writers Guild, which, mm-hmm. you know, is sort of a rarity. She says, I hope mm-hmm. any show creators who have the leverage to fight for unionizing their produ- productions will continue to do so. She also said, I still have a beautiful and weird ending to Tuca and Birdie in mind. Hopefully someday we'll get the chance to finish the story. In the meantime, I'm not done creating. I've witnessed so many people connecting with the show on a profound level, and I intend to keep telling stories like this no matter what. Hmm. So, you know, is this another casualty of David Zaslov's, you know, penny pinching? Who's to say? It seems sort of likely. But, you know, it's uh, it's a shame. And it, it's the show was so interesting because it was the kind of the reverse of what usually happens, which is a show gets canceled and Netflix picks it up for more episodes, where this was canceled by Netflix and Adult Swim picked it up. But it should also be noted that uh, Michael Eisner's production company was behind this yep. uh, Tuca and Birdie, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, the, the Bojack so, yeah. Horseman people, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite conceited that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that Tuca and Birdie eventually follows the Futurama route. Because remember, you know, Futurama actually ran on Fox from 99 to 2003, uh, airs as reruns on Adult Swim from 2003 to 2007. Then remember, it got revived, but as home premieres, you know, they did those four movies in 2007, which then began getting released in 2009. Then Comedy Central buys the broadcast rights to those four movies and then has them chopped up into 16 episodes. I think they knew that they were going to get chopped up though because I remember watching them and being like, "Oh, okay, here's the here's the break." Yeah. Know? Yeah, but that's quite the roll of the dice like we'll make these and then you'll air these. Yeah. And then on the heels of that, season doing really well, the quote-unquote fifth season of the show, 2009 Comedy Central orders 26 additional episodes which air in 2010 and 2011, and then one final season, which then air in 2012 and 2013. And just this February, uh, Hulu ordered an additional 20 episodes, so which will start airing in 2003. So who knows? Lisa may get her finale yet. Um, I mean, I, I would bet you we'll see the Tuca and Birdie finale sooner than we see Scoob Holiday Haunts, which... By the way, did you see they tweeted out this week that I saw that yeah. I saw Tony. Well, I saw Tony on on Instagram talking about how he had finally finished it. <sighs> Why did they have to finish it? <laughs> Is that my question? But I was reading a story by Ken Levine this past week, and it was about 
there was a very short-lived Nathan Lane sitcom called Encore. Encore aired on NBC. It was was put together by the same guys who did Frasier. And Ken was there to direct the show when the word came down that the show had been canceled. I, I mean, mind you, they'd written the 13th episode and Nathan could have just walked away. This is why Ken said I would work with Nathan Lane any day of the week because he decided that if he walked away, that meant the crew and the everybody else wouldn't have gotten paid for that week. And so it's like, no, I, I will stay and finish out the show. And he said he worked as hard. And as I understand it, that's kind of the same thing with Scoob Holiday Haunts. It's, it's the notion of if we walk away from this, all these people who committed to this film, to finishing this film, don't get paid. So it's just sort of like, all right, we will go to the, the exact end of the process and then this thing gets tossed into the vault, never to be seen, which is just... Uh, God, it's tragic. It's really, really tra- tragic. Again, Paul Dini mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay, Jim. We need to see this. Really? Paul wrote the screenplay for this? Yep, yep. You know, things get lost in the mail all the time, Drew. Jim, you know, given our history, our tragic history of getting lost coming back from the bathroom... There we you go. Know, it's there just, we go. You know... You know... I, I, perhaps a package will get misdirected. I'm just saying. That's, listen, should the package get misdirected, <laughs> we will do everything we can to accidentally upload it to, to some kind of site so that everyone could enjoy it. But, you know, these are all just hypotheticals. All so. hypotheticals. All right. Yes. Pivoting to something that people are actually going to get to see. In fact, just the day after this podcast gets loaded up on the, on the 8th, we have Zootopia Plus, all six episodes, which, by the way, you have seen. I have seen them, yes. Um, Do we have a favorite out of the pile? You know, I was trying to think of this, Jim, mm-hmm. which one was my favorite. It starts really strong. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have my notes with me, of course, so I can't actually reference which one. I don't want to give away too much, but a lot of them intersect with the actual Zootopia movie in really interesting ways and unexpected ways as hmm. well. So a lot of times, you know, a short will end and it'll it'll be an, a moment from the movie that you remember. Hmm. But if I had to pick a favorite, Jim, because you're putting me on the spot. Okay. I think it's going to be an episode called Duke the Musical. Really? Which is an extended sequence Mm -hmm. starring our boy, the Duke Mm -hmm. Weaselton. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is a hoot, Jim. It is an absolute hoot. It goes through all the ways that he's scheming to make money, including selling organs and becoming a used car salesman. And it is just really, really delightful. Great you know, vocal performance by Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you'll be surprised at who they got back, Jim. The fact that they got Idris Elba back for one of these is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty awesome. And Shakira. Uh, so she she paused her trial long enough, I guess, to, <laughs> to voice the <laughs> gazelle oh, again. Okay. So, yeah. Aren't you nice? <laughs> so that's uh, music by Michael Giacchino again. Yeah, I think it's mostly just reused cues from the movie, but there mm-hmm. are there is that new some new songs during that the mm-hmm. Duke uh, episode, okay. which I believe are by the folks who did uh, the Frozen Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Mm-hmm. So they're really good, and yeah, it's just it's just really fun. You can watch the whole thing in about an hour. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, about six or seven minutes each, and they're great. 
I think you'll I think you'll enjoy them, Jim. I can't wait. To, we'll talk about it next episode. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, we'll do. And in theory, perhaps this time next year, they they will be up for awards. So. Uh, can you talk about this new Children's and Families Emmys thing, which I, I guess we're going to see the awards handed out in December of this year, right? The, the 10th and 11th? So we've talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. which is that animation is being ghettoized mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for, you know, children, for children that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about JPEG's comments last week Mm -hmm. uh, about how nobody wants to watch an animated movie and so most of these shows are animated but it also is nice that some of them are getting a spotlight when a lot of them haven't Mm -hmm. um you know things like the mysterious benedict society and Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. the doogie hauser reboot on disney plus are nominated and of course Kirk Thatcher our bud Mm -hmm. got nominated for Muppets Haunted Mansion outstanding fiction special so, you know, it's it's interesting what's nominated, but I just wanted to point out, Jim, what was nominated for Outstanding Animated Series. Mm-hmm. So City of Ghosts, which we loved, Cuphead Show, The mm-hmm. Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, Star Trek Prodigy, and A Tale Dark and Grim. That is the Outstanding Animated Series class. So pretty interesting, wow, I guess. That's, you that's, know, that's a fun selection. Um, yeah, yeah. So not, I guess they're not primetime mm-hmm. Or whatever, but yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Um, things like Maya and the Three and Troll Hunters also got nominated. So I, uh, you know, we got to give it up. What do you make of this deal with Bonnie Arnold? Uh, Bonnie was the producer of the original Toy Story. Likewise, she was the producer of all three of the uh, How to Train Your Dragon feature films. She's who Bonnie is named after in the Toy Story universe. <laughs> I believe she. Yeah, because she, pr- yeah, she produced the first one. She is na- that is the little girl is named after Bonnie Arnold. So, yeah, yeah. To be honest, my favorite film of of the one she's produced is still Over the Hedge, which I really wish DreamWorks had circled back on at some point. But Wait, you're you're saying you liked Over the Hedge more than Toy Story, Jim? Over the Hedge has some amazing action sequences, some really really funny writing. And an amazing vocal cast. I mean, you you, you got uh, Bruce Willis at the top of his form. You got Gary Shandling. You have William Shatner as a possum that, that fakes his death at, at Baltimore. Hell, you got Steve Carell as a hyper squirrel. In, in fact, and some good and some good Ben Fold songs too. It does. It does. Yeah. 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 Uh, but. I associate Bonnie with Pixar and obviously with DreamWorks. And so to have her headed over to Wild Brain is kind of interesting. But you pointed out that this new deal with Wild Brain, well, first of all, she, she's back to working with Cressida Cowell, uh, the author of the, the How to Train Your Dragon books. And this is really built around her latest book, right? The, the Which Way to Anywhere? Yeah, it's sort of two-pronged. It's based on Which Way to Anywhere, which is about a kid who draws these fantastical maps. And what the kid doesn't realize Mm -hmm. is that uh, the maps that he is drawing uh, are actually real. And his baby sister is kidnapped and he has to go embark on this mission to save her to go into these worlds that he he just draws for fun. So it feels very kind of labyrinth. Oh, yeah. And and fun. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's the other part, which is also Cowell's Emily Brown picture mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And so Wild Brain has 
option both properties exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arnold's deal includes episodic projects, TV specials, and feature films. So what form these take, uh, we will see. But it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty exciting that they're teaming up together. And, oh, no, uh, no, no, no. I, I, I love that Cowell mentioned when this deal was announced that I've worked with Bonnie Arnold for over a decade on the How to Train Your Dragon movies. She's a powerhouse of creativity and commercial instinct. I'm delighted to be partnering with her. And, you know, the ambition, imagination, and the vision of Wildbrain. So I can't help but think with, with what DreamWorks actually did with Tyler Jr. Dragon. There, there were the theatrical, uh, three theatrical release films. There were multiple animated series. There were holiday specials. We've got the whole land being built at the Epic Universe theme park in Florida. So the fact that there seems to be a multimedia plan in place for what they're about to do with Which Way to Anywhere and likewise the Emily Brown books. I mean, it just, it sounds like an exciting time for Ms. Arnold. Well, also, and Wild Brain was the one that, that got all those Jay Ward uh, projects. Yeah. So she could be roped into that stuff, too. That, that so, could be cool. That could be very cool. Yeah. And speaking of uh, people at other studios making deals and moving on, what do you make of the news about the Your Name anime film, which, uh, as I understand it, is second only to Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. It's one of the most successful uh, Japanese films of all times. And J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot has acquired the rights to remake this this anime film from from mm-hmm. 2016, but but now we finally have a writer and director, right? Yeah, it's, and it's one that people will remember: mm-hmm. Carlos Lopez Estrada, mm-hmm. who co-directed uh, Maya and the Last Dragon, and mm-hmm. who is uh, is uh, you know was supposed to do his, an original feature mm-hmm. uh, for. Walt Disney Animation Studios and never got to do that and left earlier this year. He is going to do it. I saw him tweet. Uh, it was either a tweet or an Instagram post mm-hmm. where he just said, you know, I really love the movie. Mm-hmm. I promise I'm not going to, to screw it up mm-hmm. um, because it is a really special. Have you seen your name? Jim? Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved it. I'm hesitant to talk about it because if you give away the secret, that's half the fun of the movie. And I just tell you what, folks, do yourself a favor. Again, it's Makoto Shinaki from uh, 2016. And again, your name, just chase it down, watch it. You'll love it. And then so you, good. you then you'll immediately be waiting for what Carlos does with this, because kind of interesting what you could do with this for live action. Yeah. I mean, I saw some people saying that they were, you know, they were a little hesitant because it is so specifically Japanese, like mm-hmm. the culture, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I think it'll be, it'll be fine. Okay. Well, okay. yeah. Well, and, and speaking of things that I hear are particularly fine, when we get back from this commercial break, Drew is going to tell us about the Criterion Collection version of Wally. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. 
This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Did I hear this correctly, that, that it was Andrew Stanton who reached out to Criterion himself and suggested that they do some stuff with Pixar? Is that the story? or? Yes, yes. He reached out and he is a fan of Criterion and... I just I talked to Andrew on Friday, so this is this is how I know this. I'm not actually talking out of my okay. derriere. Mm-hmm. But he uh yeah, he reached out and got the ball rolling mm-hmm. and it just took a little while longer, obviously with COVID and other delays. But mm-hmm. he said that he really deferred to Criterion because he said, mm-hmm. You tell me what's interesting, what we haven't done yet. Because mm-hmm. obviously the special features on previous Pixar are things that are pretty impressive and you know i brought up the super genius version of bug's life which i still remember every special feature from because i this is this is why i am the way i am jim um yeah yeah, yeah. but i can't tell i cannot say enough good things about this criterion release it's absolutely beautiful Mm -hmm. the new special features are really wonderful and really take you behind the scenes in a really interesting way and there's even a little tribute to ralph eggleston which really uh, got me a little upset and sad, but you know it was wonderful, a wonderful mm-hmm. tribute to him. And obviously, the 4K version of the movie mm-hmm. is is actually the same transfer from an earlier Disney one, uh, one, but it has just it's just absolutely beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful movie. I cannot believe it came out in 2008, and it still looks as good as it does because it really is jaw dropping um, visually still. And it's just a wonderful package. I think it's like the it's it's the gift for animation freaks this Christmas. Okay. And actually, right now the Barnes and Noble fifty percent off sale is going on. So, oh, yeah, you can get it for about twenty five dollars. So, wow, I, I, yeah, I was excited because this is forty nine ninety five three disc set. Criterion itself has it going for thirty nine ninety six. But wow. That Barnes yeah. and Noble deal, that can't be head to, head to your Barnes, yeah, head to your local Barnes and Noble. The sale goes until the twenty eighth. Okay, so there's actually a lot of great stuff coming out this month on mm-hmm. Criterion. So go grab it; it's very much worth it, and a beautiful package slash mm-hmm. uh, art design for the uh, you know the packaging is really really great. There's like sketches, you know, original Andrew Stanton Trash Planet sketches in there, and. It's just great. I, I love this set so much. I can't believe that they did a Pixar movie in the Criterion Collection. And, you know, as I was getting off the phone with Andrew, I said, just remember, mm-hmm. if they do a John Carter, mm-hmm. you know who to call to write the... Oh, so, the, no, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of which, did they talk about... Are there any plans to to follow this up with other Pixar films? Or? I've, I've heard that this is the beginning of a, of a licensing deal between Disney and... Mm-hmm. Criterion, so 
Okay. You know. Listen, I, I want some weird ones, Jim. I want Dragon Slayer in there, you know. Given what you've just described for the extra features and that sort of thing, I'd love to see them do up. Yeah. The problem is is really just how good those discs were already. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, like you, you really have to come with something different. And Stanton really had a point of view on this thing. Mm-hmm. And really pushed to make it really personal. And, mm-hmm. and Jim, you'll love, there's a section called uh, Wally A to Z, which is him and Jim Reardon, our, our good buddy, riffing about all the details uh, in the movie, which is really fun. But and, and you also get to see Andrew Stanton's thesis animated short from CalArts when he was in class with Jim Reardon and uh, Brenda Chapman and, you know, all of those legends. So really, really fun stuff. I can't wait to hear what you think and definitely pick it up later okay. this month. Well, I, to circle back to Up, though, I guess one of the reasons I would love to see them do a deep dive on Up is that's obviously a, a Pete Doctor film. And Pete Doctor, along with Chris Merritt, who was the gentleman who did that amazing two-volume set on the life of Mark Davis that I, I want to say was sort of the book to get for animation fans and theme park geeks this past Christmas. And for Up, Pete interviewed people who'd been long married couples to get the Carl and Ellie story just right. And and one of the people he interviewed was Alice Davis. She had lost uh, her husband, Mark, in January of 2000. They'd been married since the late 50s. She met Mark. She was taking a, a night course that Mark was teaching about animation. The class was full. And you know, it's like, I'm sorry, I can't make room for you in the class. And she begged and pleaded and wheedled. And and finally, you know, he was so taken with her. It's like, all right, here's the deal. I'll let you come into the class. But you you have to take the role every night to make sure everybody's there. And you have to provide the chalk for me in the class. And that's how they got going as a couple. I like to start most of my relationships in a blackmail situation. Too. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of us it's our sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> some of us it's our only chance. True. I mean, you know, that's true. That's true. You, know, you have to coerce, you know. But um, yes. But anyway, at this point, Alice is, is making her living as a costume designer, and Mark just can't forget her, and so at one point he reaches out to her and explains, "Look, we're working on." Sleeping Beauty. And we have the scene where she dances in the woods and we're just not getting the stuff we need to do the animation right. And Alice actually designed the dress that the actress used in the live action reference. And that's right. One of the reasons it, it looks as well as it does in the film is because she knew how to do that. She to recognize how cloth worked to the fullest effect and that sort of thing. And and how she actually ended up working for Walt Disney along with her husband. Mark and Alice were out to dinner one night, and I want to say it was a Tam O'Shanter. And Walt was there, and they're newlyweds. And Walt's kind of taken with how he's used to people kind of being, well, I'm Walt Disney, and being sort of taken aback by that. And, And Alice just wasn't having it. It's like, well, we're having dinner, and it's nice to see you. Now go away. (laughs) <laughs> because she behaved that way, Walt was like, oh, I like this one. So when he could invent a reason for her to come work at the studio, in fact, I, I want to say the next film that was coming over the hill was Toby Tyler. And it's like, oh, I'll show her. It's like, you're going to design all of the costumes for this movie about circuses. 
and so Alice ends up, you know, working for the company along with Mark. And when Mark in 62 transitions over from feature animation to Imagineering, Walt, without skipping a beat, Alice, you go work with him. I want you two in the building together. And you can't really tell the, the Mark and Alice Davis story without talking about Small World. The project gets greenlit nine months before the New, uh, New York World's Fair opens in April of 64. So there is no time to do anything. And Mark always got a kick out of the fact that people were so tickled with It's a Small World because he said... It was a rush job. I literally designed one doll. That's all we had time for. And it was Alice and Mary Blair that did the heavy lifting. Alice was the one who went down the hall to Imagineering's amazing collection of National Geographics and created designs for all the children's outfits by paging through those. And Mary Blair was the one who created all of the spectacular settings that these characters stood in. And everyone was like, Mark, you did such amazing work on this attraction. And he said, and the women would get so mad at me because <laughs> it's like, I only did one doll. But at the same time, Alice learned a lot from working on that project. And she was talking about putting the pantaloons on the little can-can dancers and how after just a week to 10 days, they'd have to replace the pantaloons because of the fabric would wear out. And she, would, she learned that when you're doing an animatronic figure, it's not like designing a costume for an actress, you know, that's in a play or a movie or that sort of thing. It's, this is going to be doing one set of repetitive moves and it's really going to tear and they're also powered by hydraulic fluid, so it's going to stain. And so, you know, when it finally comes time to work on Pirates of the Caribbean, and in fact, Alice always used to make the joke about, I went from working on sweet little children to dirty old men. And at this point, she knows that, you know, these costumes are going to wear out. And so it's like, well, we need to make a couple of sets of costumes. We need to have one costume that the figure is wearing in the attraction. We need to have one costume that's being held in reserve. And then we need to have another costume that is either away being cleaned or repaired. So for every figure, you needed at least three costumes. And so she was explaining this to Dick Irvine, you know, the head of Imagineering at the time. And he said, Alice, we, we just don't have the time. We just don't have the money. I mean, just do the one set of figures for Pirates of the Caribbean and we'll figure it out. And Alice, you know, her entire life, it's like, oh, another old white man telling me what to do. And so what Alice did is she padded the invoice. You know, she said she was making one set of costumes. But for every character in the Pirates of the Caribbean, she made the three outfits. And that turned out to be the genius move because it's a week after the attraction opens at Disneyland. To people are like, oh, my God, this is the best thing that, you know, Walt Disney's ever done. But that week... You know how the, the the attraction in the the scene where the, the the city's burning down, there's one pirate that's leaning off of a lamppost with a, a bottle? Yes, of course. Okay, well, <laughs> that figure, and they don't know if it was somebody who flicked a cigarette at it or if there was an electrical short or that sort of thing, that figure actually caught on fire, Drew. <laughs> Nothing around it caught fire, and people are in the boats going by, and they say, well, everything's on fire, and that guy's on fire. Well, that's a cool effect, <laughs> you know, and it's only later in the day when somebody actually, a, a cast member goes through and says, oh, my God, that guy's on fire, and they shut down the attraction, and the word goes to Dick Irvine, and it's like, oh, my God, 
you know, we're going to have to replace that costume. And that means that, you know, we're going to have to shut down the attraction for at least a week. And it's, you know, the height of popularity. And we're just launching this thing. And so he gets on the phone to Alice and it's like, we need to replace for the costume. And, you know, just sort of like, how long is this going to take? And she starts up. He's like, no, don't be mad. <laughs> but <laughs> how, how would you feel about having the attraction up in a half hour? <laughs> and it's like, what? And, you know, that's when she explained to Dick that she had secretly padded the invoice and made three sets of costumes and it's like i'm mad but i could kiss you all right put the costume on we'll reopen the attraction and from that point forward that was the gold standard also proof that none of us should be listening to old white men there we go there we go though alice always loved you know to tell sort of a body story and and kind of off-color stuff so they were working getting carousel of progress ready for the 1964 World's Fair. And so she's working on that introductory scene where the the father is sitting in the chair with the fan. The opening line is like, boy, it's really hot for summer. You know, and again, this is something that Alice learned over time working on AA figures. Like you build a pair of pants for an animatronic figure. It's like, well, it's not like the, the animatronic figure can actually stand up and, you know, lift one leg and lift the other leg and step into the pants and you can zip the fly. It was one of these things where you had to sew the pants and create a way you could put them on the figure. So the father is sitting down in a chair facing the audience and they're trying to get the timing on the curtains and the spinning of the theater just right. And so they're, they're doing the costume work while they're running this. And so Alice is on her hands and knees in the scene of this particular scene is the Carousel of Progress, and she is putting the pants on the father when the curtain opens up. So she's basically got her head in his lap, you know, and trying to reach behind to snap the man's pants closed behind him. And she hears Walt roaring in the audience because, you know, again, from what Walt can see, there, there's a very adult act going on on stage, you know, and in the animatronic, very hot for July, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and she stands up, you know, totally embarrassed, runs off stage and, you know, and Walt seeks her out afterwards said, that was the funniest damn thing I've seen in a while. <laughs> She'd share those sorts of stories. And she was also a great supporter of Mark's work and was working with Chris and, and Pete Doctor on the two-volume set to make sure that Mark's art and work got appreciated. And when you think about it, we lost Mark in January of 2000. And here she is two decades later, still working to make sure that Mark gets his due. And she was quite a lady. And... She's actually uh, my daughter Alice's godchild. My ex and I, Michelle, befriended the Davises, I want to say, geez, 92, 93. And, you know, when my daughter Alice came along, they took her under their wing. And I miss the two of them. 93 is a good long life. But at the same time, it's it's still... Um, it's sad that, that we've lost her. And, you know, I, I will... Missed my time with her, and I, I will certainly miss those stories. It's, she had some pretty amazing stories about working with Walt and working with Mark. But anyway, uh, speaking of amazing stories, if you are not listening to Drew Taylor's Light Diffuse podcast, you are missing out on some amazing behind-the-scenes stories as well. Yeah, we're going to get back into some Light the Fuselage material mm-hmm. soon. 
But uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Light the fuse every week. We mm-hmm. we have a new episode up. So okay, yeah, okay. And and speaking of which, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. Well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also light the fuse. That would be very helpful. And we do have. Some other podcasts here. We've got uh, Disney Dish, which I do with Lynn Testa. Likewise, Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. Brian Gaughan and I uh, need to get a new Looking at Lucasfilm out the door. And I even have a new Universal joint in the works. And that should be up shortly. So beyond that, if you are not following Drew Taylor on, well, what remains of Twitter uh, and and other social media, uh, you are missing out on some cool stuff. (laughs) So what is your plan here, Drew? Are you you, going to go down with the Hindenburg or? I think I guess I'm going to. I mean, my hope, maybe this is optimistic, but Mm -hmm. I hope that he kind of just flames out Twitter on his own and, Mm -hmm. and I can still enjoy my time, but. Yeah, it's it's getting dark over on Twitter. But mm-hmm. for the time being, I'm there at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, and mm-hmm. also on Instagram. So, yeah. What about you, Jim? Where, where are you? I, I, I have to admit, I was just telling somebody that I'm a little concerned about this. I mean, I, I'm honestly amazed how much information, uh, you know, how much, so you know, little networking for interviews or, or that sort of thing I do through Twitter or likewise, yeah, how many yeah. news stories first bubble up there. So it's out of strictly selfish reasons. I'm really hoping that it pulls itself out of its dive here because it's just sort of like, wow, I will actually have to you know, go learn someplace else. But for now, yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Well, anyway, folks, that's going to do it for Fine Tuning for this week. Thank you for listening, and Mr. Talon and I will be back soon.